0: Good morning, all. Great to see you. I hope you're well. Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. I'm Greg Paris, and we're thrilled that you've chosen to be with us in worship today. Welcome. We are completing a series that we've entitled All In this month of January. It's about stewardship, your life as a manager of all the resources God has given you, and I hope it's been encouraging to you. We've chosen today's theme, a matter of trust, as Pastor Glenn mentioned. And I hope that it will be an inspiration. So we've chosen as our text today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read for us verses 6 through 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll also be projecting the words. And our custom is to stand. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words. This comes from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And he's encouraging generosity. And he writes, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever." Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I mean, God inspires today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You know, I think sooner or later, every one of us, all, all of us, Every man, every woman will have to come to a point in our lives when we decide whether or not God can be trusted. Can God be trusted? Is it a decision that we make at some point in our lives, oftentimes in a private moment, when we wrestle with the question is God trustworthy? Is He reliable? Is God faithful? Can God be trusted? Sooner or later, you have to come to that question. You know, if you're a believer here today, you came to an important point somewhere along the way when you took God at his word. You came across that portion of scripture that says, whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And you came to the point where you saw your sinfulness before a holy God, unable to save yourself no matter how hard you tried, You remember the words that implied that Christ must do for you what you cannot do for yourself, the forgiveness of your sins, restoring the relationship you have with God, uh, to prepare you for heaven, and you asked Jesus Christ to become your personal Lord and Savior. You called on the name of the Lord for your salvation. Now, let me ask you this. What did you find out when you did that? What did you find? What you found is with respect to salvation, God keeps his promise. Now, that's where an amen goes in the sermon. God keeps his promise. You trusted him for your salvation. And for those of you who have trusted Christ for some time, you have discovered that God is a trustworthy God, that his word is reliable and his promises are true. I love Psalm 18, verse 30. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. His word is tried and true. I love that. So here's what we discover. You can build a marriage based on the promises of God. You can build a family based on the promises of God's word. You can establish moral values. You can understand who you are. You can actually understand where you've come from and where you are going through the promises of God's word. You can find out over time that God can be trusted with your salvation, with your relationships, with your decisions, with your entire life. God is a trustworthy God. God's guidance, God's purpose, God's destiny can be trusted. Now, I can give a personal witness. I've been a follower of Jesus now for 46 years. Yeah, well, yeah. And I'm amazed at his trustworthiness in my life. You can do this exercise just like I can. I can look back and I can see the faithfulness of God in my life. I can do a timeline and I can see that God led me to my precious wife Beth and led me into a little cornfield church many years ago. And we have witnessed the miraculous work of God time after time after time. God has been a trustworthy and faithful God, I remember my first trip overseas. This was uh, many years ago now and four of us from Union Chapel decided that we were going to go around the world and, and, and meet as many unreached peoples of the world that we could in hopes of God speaking to us about some place, some people in the world that we might uh, try to share Jesus with them. And all of that to say that we didn't go to all the popular spots, the vacation spots, you know, we didn't, we didn't go to the seven wonders. Uh, we went to dark places spiritually, we went to very needy places physically, and I just need to tell you, it was really difficult. In many ways it was overwhelming. Just the, Just the weight of the human need in some of the cultures that we found ourselves in, and the not just the physical need, but the, the spiritual darkness and the sense of lostness and hopelessness that seemed to engulf so many peoples of the world. And it was, it was overwhelming. I, I described it as crushing. It was just crushing on my mind and my, my spiritual life. And when I came home, I had a crisis. I had a crisis of faith. I had a crisis of worldview and meaning and a sense of purpose. And for many weeks, the reason that I got hung up is because I was seeing the world through the lenses of my own capacity, my own ability, my own resources, and the resources of our church. And my resources, our resources, compared to the needs of the world, <laughs> it was just it was just goofy. It was crazy. You can't do anything to, to help anyone. But when I stopped looking at the world through my own lens, and I started looking At the world through God's lens, not my inadequacies, but his sufficiency, not my weakness, but his strength, not my inabilities, but his extreme power, when I started seeing the world through the eyes of an almighty God who is capable of doing anything, it changed my perspective and the crisis of my faith began to pass. And I realized that God can do anything because he is a great, great God. And, and so I decided that I was going to put my whole confidence, my whole trust, my whole hope in God. And it made a huge difference. Now, from time to time, I still have crises of faith. I don't know about you, but my faith wavers from time to time. I, I, most of you, you, this never happens to you. But for me, I get into these moments when I wonder, I wobble, and I get weak. And now, my wife, she's good for me because she has deep and abiding faith. And, and she seems to be really close to, you know, there's there some people in the world who just have a knack for God. Have you noticed that? They just have this inclination to God. It's like she's, yeah, I, I get garbled notes from God. You know, I see a little piece of paper, you know, blowing down the street. and I reach down, and pick it up, and you can, you know, it's all water stained. I can't read it. And someone wrote it in pencil. Those are, that's how I hear from God. Beth just picks up her red phone, and it's a direct line to heaven. I don't know what this is about her. She says, yeah, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Yeah, well, let me... So when I get all wobbly sometimes in my faith, this is the question Beth always asks me. I hate it. <laughs> she walks up to me, and she looks, looks at me right in the eyes with her big brown eyes. I know it's coming, because, you know, I've been worrying and wobbling and wondering... And, you know, expressing that out loud, I know God's been faithful, what about this time? And, you know, I get in that that moment, and she walks up to me, and she looks at me, and she may take me by the hand, and she'll say, very sincerely, she'll say, do you trust him? Do you trust him? I mean, that reduces it right down, doesn't it? Through all the obfuscation, all the confusion, all the questions, all the wondering, all the doubt, just boils it right down. Do you trust him? Well, do you? It's an important question, isn't it? Can I just remind you today that the God we serve is trustworthy. He can be trusted. Why is that we spend so much time worrying about whether or not God can be trusted? Listen to me. Listen Listen to your pastor. You will be the first person in history whom God has failed. You'll be number one. You'll be so special. You should take a selfie. Post it somewhere. I'm the first one who couldn't trust God. He let me down. Yeah. Could I just say, God is a trustworthy God. Give your whole life to Jesus. You will not be disappointed. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not fail you. He can be trusted. He's a trustworthy God. Now, some of you right now are wondering, did he forget what the subject was of the sermon? I have not forgotten. You see, giving money or giving any aspect of the resources God's placed at your disposal is much more a trust issue than it is a monetary issue. Much more. At the very heart of giving money is the key issue of whether or not God can be trusted. Think about it. We're not talking about dollars and cents today. We're actually talking about faith. True faith. Confident faith. Intelligent faith. Based on God's word. Based on God's character, based on God's track record in your life. God's word promises to us supernatural blessing, supernatural provision. That's what he promises. Let me show you a few verses. I could show you dozens more, but here's Luke 6.38. Look at it on the screen. It says, given, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you have faith for that? Look at 2 Corinthians 9 from our text today. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver, a joyful giver, a happy giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you have faith for that? Can you trust that promise? Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We've talked about first things, haven't we? First fruits, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. These verses, these promises from God's word and dozens and dozens more like it say that when you give a portion of your earnings to the Lord, He promises to return a blessing to your life. Not a meager blessing, not a piecemeal blessing, not a limited blessing, but an abundant blessing. That's the promise. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? I get letters from people all the time. I get little notes and cards, and I appreciate it very much. Sometimes I get letters that are not signed. You should know that if you send me a personal letter, the first thing I do, I open the letter. I actually don't open it. My secretary opens it, and now it's there open, so I don't have to open it, and I... But if it's not signed, the first thing I do is I pull it out and I look at the bottom of it. And if it's not signed, I take it and I put it in the shredder. Because any letter that's not signed isn't worth reading. Some of you have been, this is news to some of you because you've been sending me, you know, corrective letters for, for, for years. Thinking that I've been getting the message. And this explains a lot to you now because I haven't even been reading them. So if you don't sign it, I will not read it. If you want to send unsigned letters, you should send them to someone who actually cares <laughs> what you've written. Because I don't. But if you sign it, you know, I'll read it and, and so forth. And sometimes it's helpful and corrective. And I appreciate that. And I can learn from that. Um, And then other times people write me letters that are signed and they're very gracious and very, very nice and and there's all kinds of blessing in it. And I have a bunch of those and I'm thankful for that. Here's one of those letters that comes from a young man named Kyle. He had just graduated a year after he had written this letter uh, from Ball State. And this is just a few lines from this long letter that he wrote me. He said, hopefully this letter is both a thank you and a word of encouragement. He said, first, I want to thank you so much for my experience at Union Chapel. He wrote that he believed that the reason he had come to Muncie in the first place was to play in his particular sport. He'd gotten a scholarship here at Ball State. But he said, the the real impact to my life and my spiritual growth was being part of Union Chapel. So he said, I found myself looking forward to church every week, even when my friends and I got in the wee hours of the morning, I made it a point and got up with no problem to come to church. He said, I've attended a few churches during my young life, and I've never found one like Union Chapel. I only wish there was one here in Ohio where I now live. The one thing I could count on was that the Holy Spirit would be whipping through Union Chapel on Sunday mornings. And finally, I'd like to share a little of my own testimony about my experience. He said, you challenged me in my spiritual walk with Christ and really opened my eyes to what worship is all about and really changed the way I thought about giving. And then he said, one Sunday you were talking about faith promise, and this is what we do in the fall, talking about our missions giving, and he said, while you were talking, I felt like I was being called to make a faith promise, and for some reason, $1,000 came to me. And so I decided that's what I would do, and when I told my parents, they said that that was great, but $1,000 is a lot of money. Can you hear a parent saying that to a college student? Well, that's nice, you made a promise to your church for $1,000, but... I had no real income coming in, plus I was a poor college student, huh? That needed money for tuition and such. In the meantime, I was deciding on where to attend law school. I only applied to three schools, but two of them offered full tuition scholarships. The Lord was working. So I figured with the camps that I do in the summer, I would have enough money for school, a car, and my faith promise. Sure enough, God came through again. So here's my faith promise Just one example of how God has taken care of me, not necessarily how I expected, but above and beyond what I need. Union Chapel has so advanced my spiritual walk that you'll never know. Isn't that great? Isn't that cool? So it's not only just a great testimony, but here's a life at 22, 23 years old who has actually gotten it, that God can be trusted with my whole life, including the money that passes through my hands. I just, I just find that so encouraging. Now in your outline, you'll see a few things that the Bible teaches us about giving. These are terms that the Bible uses that help us understand how we give in a monetary way. And the first, you write this down in your outline, number one is the tithe, T-I-T-H-E. Now this is a term referring to the first 10% of everything you earn. The Bible teaches this from front to back, all the way through, beginning with Abraham, all the way to Jesus, the tithe then is a basic standard. It's a basic expectation that the Bible teaches that we are to give. This is when a person takes 10% of their salary or their bonus or their commission or an unexpected windfall and they commit it to God. Now, a few subpoints under that tithe point that I want to just give you. Number one, the tithe was primarily instituted as an act of worship. You need the word worship. Now, think about that. Within the heart of every believer is the need to worship God, to worship Him for who He is. He is wonderful, He is good, and there is this longing to worship. And God delights when we worship Him with our lips, with our hearts, and with our substance. I will not offer that to the Lord which has cost me nothing. So there's something about giving God worship through a substantial offering and God honors that. The second sub-point there under tithe is that the tithe is also an act of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Psalm 116 verse 12 asks a rhetorical question, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? And of course the answer is, can't be done. How can we repay the Lord? Never happened. So in the spirit of thanksgiving, you give the tithe, you're grateful. Uh, The virtue of gratitude is a very powerful virtue the human character and if gratitude if you're not a, a grateful person grateful for so many blessings of God then pray that God will help you cultivate that in your life because thanksgiving is such a great motive then number three the tithe is also an act of obedience obedience God says if you love me you'll keep my commandments remember you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving don't tell me that you care about the needs of the people around you if you never tangibly do anything to help them. So it's an act of obedience. Then fourthly, the tithe is also given in a spirit of trust. A spirit of trust. And that's what we're trying to get to today, trying to really focus in on that whole idea. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and following, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now the storehouse... The biblical storehouse is the local church. It's the, it's the religious center. It's the place to which you go to worship. It is a place uh, through which and out of which uh, expressions of God's kindness and mercy and care is extended to the world around. And so the local church is today's equivalent of the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven... And pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. And what a great promise. And then it goes on to say, and and God will actually rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Which is a great promise. Because uh, Jesus reminded us, recorded in John 10.10, that the thief, the devourer, comes to steal and kill and destroy. There's an enemy of our soul out there who's trying to steal from us and take from us what God's trying to give us. And if we obey God in this area of our lives, that God will actually push back the forces that attempt to destroy us and protect us from it. And I'm just so amazed by that. So in this Malachi passage, there's a clear teaching, there's a clear promise, and there's a clear challenge. And the challenge is, test me now in this. So what is the message God is sending through this passage? The message is clear. I can be trusted. Test me in this. I can be trusted. Give me a shot at this, and I will show you that I can be trusted. So our response is to prove God's faithfulness through a tangible demonstration of that trust. Let me ask you a question. How is it that you can trust God with your salvation? You know, your whole eternal destiny. You can trust God with that and not trust him to honor your tithe. Have you ever thought about that? How is it that you can trust God with the strength you need to face the challenges of life? You trust God to answer your prayers? You trust God to guide your life? God, please, if I need to know your will, order my steps. We trust God to order our destiny, but you can't trust him to honor your tithe? I have to confess that I, I have in the past often felt frustrated, disappointed, angry, Toward other believers who just don't seem to be able to get this part of their life, they just can't connect the dots. It's it's hard for me. I'm frustrated by it. I'm especially troubled by pastors who do not tithe. It just it it just makes me wonder. It just makes me crazy. I recently learned about a church in Indianapolis. This comes from a very reliable source. And the senior pastor there over the course of a number of years, and this is a big church, bigger than our church here. And over a number of years had, had led that congregation away from any kind of giving outside of the four walls of their church. So there was no mission activity locally or globally coming out of this substantial church, millions of dollars worth of budget. None of it was being given away to help others. And so that pastor was replaced, and a new pastor came in, and the, when this, the new pastor found out about this practice, the first thing he instituted was a program of repentance for the whole congregation to come clean about being so selfish and self-centered. And I, I'm just, that's great leadership. And, but, it, but it's astonishing to me that so many Christians miss this. So many, so many people who know God can't really make the connection of this important issue of life, how how people can have such a crippled confidence in such an able God in this category. I feel sorry that they'll not be able to experience the wonderful and compelling faith adventure that those of us who trust God with this area of our lives, I I feel sorry for people who are only going to do the math instead of expecting the miracles. Because when you live... By faith and in a trusting confidence with God in this era of your life, you will see miracles. You will see them. It's part of the fun. It's part of the adventure. It's part of the, the 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 dynamic of being in in such an intimate relationship with Almighty God that you see His hand at work in your life in such practical ways all the time. Well, wow, there I see God's hand in that activity. Wow, I, that God. Revealed himself through that circumstance. Look what God did to provide for that. It's just so much fun. It's so exciting. It it just adds such vitality. You know, I, I get really melancholy when I think of a true believer standing in the presence of God someday and having to admit that they had great faith for virtually everything in their life except money. I mean, really, how is it possible that you can trust God with your eternal destiny, but you can't trust God with 50 bucks? Come on, man. Come on now. Come on now. What is that about? If you, can, if you have some rationalization for that and you can explain that to me in some meaningful way, would you please help me understand why you would trust God so elaborately in one category of your life and virtually none at all in another. That's a great puzzle to me. So the tithe is God's expectation for all believers. Everyone who believes in Jesus, this is the expectation, the tithe. Then the second kind of uh, offering that God suggests ways that you can give is through offerings. That's the word you need, offerings. Now this is... um, The second kind of giving, and it's usually relegated to more mature believers who learn how to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit and will begin to contribute over and above their tithes to specialized concerns. At Union Chapel, the applications for offerings are the Faith Promise to our World Missions, uh, to our capital campaign that we're currently engaged in called REACH, this two-year campaign that will conclude this year. Uh, Our Christmas offering at the end of the year, each year, is an example of an offering where you've, the, where you've paid your tithe, but an offering is over and above that through these special opportunities. As I say, this is usually for more mature people, more mature Christians who've learned how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit and, and will follow God's leading in this way. That's why, we don't, that's why we don't chase you around individually in the church. You know, what are you going to pledge to this special offering, blah, blah, blah. We, we just don't do that. We, I, I treat you like your grown-ups, Figuring that you can hear God and that you'll respond to what God tells you. I believe you want to. So these are offerings. There's a great example of this, a model of it in Ephesians chapter 4. You might want to do this research on your own at home. Some of you people who love to study the Bible, Ephesians 4 this is the church at Ephesus who are tithing and God is blessing them but then they discover the ministry of the Apostle Paul who's doing all this church planting and so they start giving offerings over and above their tithe, offerings to the work of the Apostle Paul and his mission endeavors and then the blessing of God really breaks out on them. And so you see that story unfolding in Ephesians 4. It's just a a model of how it works. And then there's the last way that the Bible describes that you can give. There's tithes and offerings, that's for every believer. Then there are offerings for more mature people. And then the third category are sacrificial gifts. So you need the word sacrificial giving. Now this is ridiculous giving. This is illogical giving. This is risky giving. Whereas the tithe is for every believer and the offerings for the growing and more mature, sacrificial giving is usually relegated to true soldiers in God's armies. The, these are folks who, who will respond to whatever God tells them to do, no matter what the amount is. Now, we have some of these, we have some of these kooks in our church, and they will, they will give just outrageously. And it's been my experience that most people in this category have been asked of God at least once in their life to kind of pull the plug. You know, where under highly specialized circumstances, God told them to give more than they ever thought was safe to give, almost to the point where God says, give it all. The, Jesus and his boys, his posse, were a- across the street from the temple one day, and on the side of the temple, there was this collection bin, this little horn that came out from the, from the wall, and it just funneled money down, and so people could pull up at the side of the temple and just drop coin down this funnel you could hear it you know tinkling as it went down and the boys were just sitting there watching people come by and there were people coming by you know with the little purses and they'd dump out their coins in the offering you could hear it tinkling down and some guys with an entourage and you know, big hitters they came by you know they got big bags and and when when these big big hitters would come by the disciples would, would kind of raise up and look. Oh, that was a good one man that guy really, he really gave a big offering. Jesus, when, when the big hitters come through, Jesus is like, he's asleep. He's dozing. He's not paying any attention. And then one woman walked up. It was kind of in the dead of the afternoon, and no one really noticed her. She was a little bit older, and she was a widow woman, and she really didn't have any means of support. And she reached in her little purse, and she pulled out all the money she had. It was two copper coins, two pennies. That's all she had. That's all she had to live on. She had no prospects for the next meal. And she pulls out her two copper coins, and no one even, you know, all the boys now are sleeping. And she drops them in, and you can't even hear. You can't even hear. I mean, they just slide down down the tunnel. (laughs) No one even knows. It's two pennies. Except now, Jesus is awake, and he jumps up, And he starts pointing and jumping up and down. He said, boys, wake up. Wake up. Best offering of the day. Best offering of the day right there. She rang the bell. She's the best one. That's the best offering so far we've seen. Because she gave out of her need. She wasn't tithing. She wasn't making an offering. She was giving sacrificially. Mm A little guy showed up at a teaching Session one day with a throng of thousands of people, he had five loaves and two fish. That's all he had, five loaves and two fish. And when the disciples asked for food, the little guy was probably a little reluctant, but he finally was forthcoming. He said, All I have is five loaves and two fish, and they said, Well, take it. <laughs> and they, they took everything he had. But Jesus multiplied five loaves and two fish into the feeding of five thousand. Yeah. You may not know this about our story here at Union Chapel when we were proposing to build phase one of our ministry campus that we're on here the sanctuary in the first main hallway there that was going to be a million and a half dollar project and at the time we didn't have a million and a half dollars we didn't have anything close to a million and a half dollars but we had some money in the bank but it wasn't anything close to that and we prayed about that and we heard God say that he wanted us to liquidate what we have and give it away so that his miracle provision so that we could build that phase one could be realized And we were mature enough at the time to actually pause and pray and hear the Holy Spirit say, I want you to give away everything you have in order for your need to be met. And so we took all of the money out of every account in the life of our church, every dollar that we had in every account, and we gave it all away. (laughs) There were, there were members of our board at the time who thought we were crazy because it doesn't make any sense, does it? it doesn't make any sense. Let I me mean, get this straight. You need a million and a half and you gave everything away. Yeah, that's what we did. When, 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 our, when our leadership team voted to give all of our money away to a cause that we all believed in, God spoke to me that night we actually had it recorded in the minutes. It's in the minutes of this organization. And this is what I heard God say. As soon as the vote was taken, all in favor, yes. People said yes. This is what I heard. The miracle necessary to meet your need has just been released. And it was. And we built that building, and then we built the children's wing, and then we built this building. And we've expanded this campus. We have 100,000 square feet. We have 40 acres of property, and God uses every square inch of it all week to reach people for Jesus. But it came because we we gave a sacrificial gift. Isn't that wonderful? It sounds good from here. (laughs) Now here's the fun. Here's the excitement. Us to do it again let me tell you one more story i don't know what your need is today but i know that god is a big god and he can meet your need about nine years ago or so um, our son youngest son isaac was engaged to be married he was he's was engaged and now married to uh, derica smith who was the daughter of the then president of Indiana Wesleyan University, Henry Smith and Teresa Smith. And so the Smiths and the Parises got together one night with our children to plan the wedding. And so we went to a restaurant one night, and and so the women and the kids were working on the wedding, and Henry and I, not as interested in the wedding planning We decided to have a little sidebar conversation, and Henry, Henry is a great uh, uh, member of the academy, and is is very uh, capable, uh, as you can imagine. All these university presidents, you know, these people are all, you know, they're buttoned up pretty tight and po- all polished up, so they're 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 pretty solid human beings usually. And Henry is no exception. He's he's just great, really smart, and I just like him a lot. So Henry and I started chatting about his life and what if, tell me something you've been involved in recently and he said well i've had something interesting happen henry uh, serves on and did and does serve on these accreditation teams of academicians who who represent these accreditation organizations that give accrediting to universities and colleges without which i mean you, you earn a degree there but it's not an accredited school then your degree's not worth much and so this is a very very important process And so Henry serves on these teams that go in and do the evaluation, the academic and fiduciary uh, parts of of these universities to make sure that they're uh, behaving well and well organized. And so Henry was serving on a team that went to Oral Roberts University at the time. And what you probably don't know is that Oral Roberts got in a very serious financial crisis about a decade ago and was about, in their operating budget alone was, was over $70 million upside down, which is a lot of money for an institution of that size, probably so large of a problem that you won't recover. And so it looked like Oral Roberts University would cease to exist. They would just have to close their doors. They also, on top of that, had tens of millions of dollars in deferred maintenance in their buildings that weren't cared enough well for. So it was a crushing load of debt, in an impossible situation. So Henry told me about this dinner meeting, one of the nights that his team was on the campus there trying to sort this mess out, and there were some administrators there, his team members were there, and Oral Roberts, who was still living at the time, he was 90 years old, was sitting right across the table from Henry, and they were talking about the mess. And Henry said that near the end of the conversation that night, and everybody was feeling pretty depressed and demoralized and hopeless, and he said Oral Roberts leaned across the table and raised his voice and he said that I know that this is a horrible crisis and and we need a miracle and so he said I am believing that God is going to provide a miracle for Oral Roberts University so this university can survive and go forward. Now when Henry told me that little anecdote I thought that's fascinating here's Oral Roberts he's near death he didn't live much longer after this and and I said well how did you react to that and Henry said I have to tell you that members of my team actually thought that oral was senile that he's lost it that he's old and he's out of his mind and he's lost touch with reality because this is 70 plus million dollars upside down the party's over I said, what did you think? Because I have an opinion about Oral Roberts, and I want to know what Henry's opinion was. And Henry said, well, you know, my colleagues thought he was crazy. But he said, you know, that's Oral's, that's been his life, you know, trusting God for big things. It's kind of his move, you know, it's his M.O. And I said, well, I agree with you. Now listen, Oral Roberts, some of you are too young to even remember him, but some of you are old enough to know that Oral Roberts was a real icon of Christian activities in the country and around the world in his day. And he made some mistakes, and he, he made some decisions that, that you could criticize. And I've heard people take shots at Oral Roberts over the years. But listen, here's my position on this, just FYI, just for your perspective. When you've touched about, give or take, 50 million people with the gospel of Jesus Christ through your, through your life and the work of your life, as soon as you've touched about 50 million people with the gospel, then you can get yourself in the line that can criticize someone who has but until you've done something like that with your life probably best off just to step back and just button it that's how i feel about it so i i have a great respect for someone who gave their life like that so henry henry said you know it was it was an interesting moment now Fast forward a few weeks, and there's a guy sitting in Oklahoma City in his home, a little modest three-bedroom house. He lived in with his wife for 30 years, and his name is David Green. Now, David Green, he doesn't have a college education, but he started a little business 25, 30 years ago, and it and it's grown. So he's been a very successful businessman. He's sitting in his home, and uh, he's reading the paper out of Oklahoma, and it gets to page four down a little article down at the bottom of page four and it's about Oral Roberts University and basically this little article says Oral Roberts University is in deep stuff probably not going to survive. Now David Green doesn't know anything about Oral Roberts University, he doesn't know Oral Roberts, he doesn't know anyone associated with Oral Roberts but he said and I heard him say these words he said for the third time in his life as a follower of Jesus he heard the voice of God he said, I've only heard God's voice three times that I can recall in my life. And this was the third time. And he said, as I read that article, I thought, hmm, well, that's too bad. And then he said, the next words I heard were from God when God said, David Green, I am calling you personally to be personally responsible for cleaning up the mess at Oral Roberts University. And he said, I, I pushed back, said, I don't know Oral Roberts, I don't know anything about Oral Roberts University, I don't know anybody associated, I don't know anything about this. And that he said, the voice of God came more strongly, I said, I am calling you to be personally responsible for cleaning up the mess at Oral Roberts University. <laughs> so the next day, he gets on the phone, he calls some people, and he gets connected, he goes down to Oral Roberts, he sets with the people, he learns what's going on, and uh And fast forward now a few more weeks, and David Green, who owns Hobby Lobby, (laughs) sat down and with a check out of the Green Foundation, his family's foundation, it's a a, a privately owned company, (laughs) Hobby Lobby, wrote a check made out to Oral Roberts University in the amount of 76 million dollars. Within a two-week period, the entire Board of Regents and the president at Oral Arts University were dismissed, and a whole new Board of Regents and a new president, our friend, Dr. Mark Rutland, was assigned the president of Oral Arts University. And it immediately began to climb upwards. All, All of the deferred maintenance was raised, the money was raised for that, all the buildings were restored, the budgets were balanced, And God's blessing began to flow again. To this day, it's in a healthy place. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? Let me ask you this. What is your need? How big a crisis are you in? Wherever you are in life right now, let me just say, God can be trusted to meet your He is a faithful God. He is a trustworthy God. He is a reliable God. He has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. He has promised to order your steps. He has promised to be your strong tower. He's promised to be your provision. He's promised to be your protection. He has promised to bless you and favor you all the days of your life. If you will follow him in a trusting, obedient way. He who has ears. Let him hear. Now reach into your bulletin. We're gonna. What time is it? I'm, I'm over time. I can tell. I can feel it. 12:25. Are you kidding me? Way over time. We can't sing. We can't sing a closing song. Sorry. Pastor Glenn's announcements just went on and on and on today. <laughs> did you notice? Did you notice that? It was endless. Grab this blue insert. Now, this is all voluntary. It didn't cost you anything to get in here today, and it won't cost you anything to leave. But we do this every year just to encourage you, and, it, and people have told me this is a, a good encouragement. They need, they need a little boost at the front of the year. Now, that you can see there are three things at the bottom of this that you can check. One, Three different options. Number one, I will continue to tithe. We have many, many people who tithe in our church. And that's, that's what Beth and I always check. I will continue to tithe because that's our, that's our habit. That's our trust level. And we'll continue to do that. Then there's a second option, which is I will start tithing. You may be a person in the church and, you know, you've been hearing God speak to you over these weeks. Maybe it was just today. You know, when, when the pastor just simply said you can trust God with your eternal destiny, but you can't trust him with 50 bucks. You know, that just struck a chord with you. And it's like, you know, that's not right. And so you want to start tithing. You're capable of doing it and you want to start. If that's true for you, then check that second option. I will start tithing. And by the way, here at Union Chapel, we have a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you're not currently tithing and you start tithing and after 90 days you, you can't meet your needs, you can't pay your bills, you're, they're going to sh- cut your lights off, All you have to do is pick up the phone and call the church and ask for me. You don't have to talk to anybody else. I know this would be embarrassing. Call and ask for me. If I'm here, I'll take your call. If not, I'll get back with you. And all you have to do, you have to work up your courage and say to me, Pastor Greg, I started tithing and God hasn't met my need. I need my money back. And what I will do is I'll give you every penny that you've given over 90 days. I'll give it all back to you. And if that's still not enough to meet your need, I'll give you more. I'll give you more money because obviously you're pitiful. And you will need help. So I will help you to make sure you're okay. But we have a 90-day money-back guarantee. And it's, you know, I, I kind of make light of it, but I'm as serious as I can be. I'm serious as a heart attack. I've had a heart attack. I, mean, I know how serious that is. And I'm serious right now about this. There's a 90-day money-back guarantee. If, God, if you start tithing and God doesn't come through for you, he can't be trusted, in this area of your life, I will refund your money, every penny of it, and then some if you need it. And then the third option is I will increase my giving with a view toward tithing. This is just folks who, maybe you've never given anything. Well, you need to start giving something. Trust God with something. Oh, I, I can't afford to give any. Listen, we have a woman in our church. She lives on Social Security. That's all she has. She's in a nursing home. She's, she's handicapped. And so all of, her, all of her money is designated. All of it's assigned to all of her expenses, and she has $50 left each month, discretionary money. $50 per month. That's what she tithes on. Now, if you're in a situation where you can't give anything, I just can't give, I can't give anything. I can't give two cents. That's just where I am. I'll give you her phone number. You can chat with her. See how, see how she manages. She has great faith. And she trusts God. And she, she, she cannot live with herself if she's, if she's not contributing to what God is doing. So I'll increase my giving. Maybe you're giving 1% of your income and you want to kick it up to 2%. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you've made some poor financial choices in your past and lots of people have and you're upside down and it's not working out for you. You need to take Financial Peace University and get your financial life straightened out. If I could make you take Financial Peace, I would do it. We have 40 people and couples taking Financial Peace right now. We're going to do it again in the fall. When it comes back around, you get in Financial Peace and get it sorted out. Because people have all kinds of financial crisis in their lives, in our culture right now. And I want you to get on balance. I want you to get healthy about this so that you can start giving and and being part of what God is doing. Be at peace with your finances. Don't let let it destroy your life. Do something about it. So we want to help you. And maybe you're a person, you're giving 1%. Well, maybe you want to start giving 2%. And maybe 3%. Because your view, you have a view because you, in your heart you want to be a tither because you know that's God's expectation for every believer and you want to be part of that. And so that's your goal. That's where you're headed. And if that's where you are, just check that third option. I will increase my giving with a view toward tithing. And I'll, And you sign your name here and I'll send you a letter in the next week or two just to encourage you. I know this commitment you made and I just want you to know I'm proud of you and I'm with you and I'm praying for you. And we can do this together. And God will bless you, because I want you to be blessed. Yeah, that's it. So we're not going to sing our closing song, so fill this out. Do it right now, if you will. Do it right now. Tear this off and pass it to the aisle. And the ushers are going to collect these so that I can send you a letter from it. And it just helps you to do something tangible. So go ahead and do that right now. And as you're doing that, could I give you a quick update on my wife, Beth? Beth has now finished her radiation treatments. Uh, this past Wednesday was her last one. Yeah, that's good. Um, for those of you who don't know, she's battling breast cancer. She's had surgery and chemotherapy and now with radiation. Radiation has, was pretty harsh. So she's, got, she's, she's burned, you know, and it's really hard on, on your skin. And so it's going to take weeks uh, maybe a few few months for that all to heal. And she's pretty tired, which is another symptom of it. So pretty weary, but she's doing okay. Her hair's starting to come back in. She's happy about that. She's, someone sent us a, a picture, a photograph from when we were in college and we were on a retreat with some of our friends at a lake cottage, right, on a lake. And there's a picture of Beth and I. We're both in the picture from when we were 22 years old, 21 years old. And I got big curly hair in the picture and Beth's hair is all long and blonde and flowing you know, and beautiful. And when she saw it, she started crying because, you know, right now she looks like me. And, and I said, why are you crying? She said, oh, my hair is so, so pretty. And I said, well, listen, you should not be the one crying. I said, your hair is actually going to grow back. I am doomed. This is it. Anyway, her hair's coming back. She's happy about that. So she's like a she's like a little a little bird, a little chick right now with this fuzz all over her head. She's she's cute as a button. Anyway, uh, thank you for your prayers for her. We expect as she starts to gain some some energy now that she should be back with us on a regular basis in a week or two. So I'm looking forward to having her with us in services. So that'll be great. Thanks so much for your prayers and support. Okay, if you turn this stuff in, all right, stand up with me and let's receive the benediction because I want to let you go. Here we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace. Be at peace, friends, both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you. The ushers are just now moving down the aisle, so... Help them out.